Hey, this is Tommy from Void King. You're listening to Concerts That Made Us. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. I had the absolute pleasure of being joined by Tommy from Void King. Void King are a band that if you haven't heard before, you're going to absolutely love them. They've toured both nationally and overseas in Europe, so you know there's going to be some pretty cool concert experiences. This episode was actually requested by a couple of you listeners out there, with a special shout out going to Zach Freeman in particular. So, without further ado... Let's get on with the show.
Ami, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to have you guys now. Uh, a couple of listeners reached out and asked for me to have you guys on, so I'm always happy to oblige. I'd love to hear that, and I love that uh, people are reaching out, and uh, I love your program. I've checked out a couple of the interviews. I'm excited to be on. Ah, great, great, great. So we kicked off the episode with your track, Elucid Omega. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? Yeah, Lucid Omega was the uh, first track on our most recent record, Baron Dominion. Uh, we kind of wrote it when I was going through some things, uh, went through a divorce. Um, our singer Jason had been quasi-homeless for a little while, and it was one of those songs that just kind of came together uh, through Providence, really. I had this one riff that we had been hanging on to for a long time, uh, kind of the, the middle the middle transitional riff there. Uh, and it was just one of those, we sat in our room like, let's do something with this, and uh it came kind of lyrics first and we wrote around that and it was just one of those tunes that was really different for us and really cool to um to write and to finish it was one of those when we finished one with all right i think that's okay that's really good so uh yeah we have a video for that one if people are on youtube and want to check that out uh my brother's a professional photographer and kind of shot that uh locally and it's kind of a cool concept when you say you uh you had a riff you were hanging on to for a while. Is that a common thing? You know, if you come up with a good riff, will you kind of put it in your back pocket to keep for later? You know, it's funny. It works a couple of different ways. So uh, sometimes we will literally be at practice tuning and I'll be like, hey, let me play this thing I just came up with. What do you think? And we'll jam on it for two hours and we'll try to come up with other things. Um, other times I'll literally get up in the middle of the night and I'll be like, oh, my God, if I don't put this in my phone, I'll like sing it to my phone. Um, and sometimes those riffs don't work with other things, right? Like they're this own individual monolith that like you, you just kind of want to leave alone. Um, but for me, I've got a phone full of riffs that we've never used because we write them and we kind of forget them. Um, we get caught in this mode of, okay, we have to get ready to play the show. And also I have all the stuff I want to work on, but we don't have time to do both. So obviously we want the live show not to suffer. So that's kind of important but like right now we're writing for the new record and i'm going back to the well constantly i'm like what about this riff does this work here how about this one how about this one and so many times they do not work but there are times <laughs> when so it funny not funny story uh, on the new record there's a song we wrote like four years ago completed it and totally forgot it existed like we wrote a song it was done it was on recorded and i was going through my phone getting rid of stuff i'm like Guys, I think there's a song we like literally wrote and forgot existed. Oh man. And so it was great. It worked. Uh our singer put better lyrics to it and we worked on it, crafted it. But yeah, that we're kind of scatterbrained that way. <laughs> yeah. And the album Baron Dominion, it's available on vinyl. I feel like that's a major kind of accomplishment for bands nowadays. Was it something you were working towards to put something out on vinyl? 100%. Yeah. So especially in our genre, whatever you want to call that stoner doom, stoner doom, uh, you know, the desert rock, whatever it is. I feel like people consume the music a lot more uh, physically as opposed to just digitally. Um, I know I do. I have way too many vinyls. I just buy vinyl and forget I own them half the time. Um, but yeah, so we are on a very small label out of the uh, Netherlands called Off the Record. Uh, and he reached out, Tiered is his name. He reached out to us and was like, hey, I'd really, really like to put your guys' album out physically. Uh, how do you feel about that? And I kind of ignored it because I thought it was a scam. You know what I mean? I thought it was like an internet guy just being funny. Yeah. Um, and like two weeks later, he's like, hey, I'm, I'm super serious. I really like your stuff. All we had was digital at that time. I'd really like to put your record out. No strings attached. Let's figure out how to make this happen. And um, he's been instrumental irreplaceable whatever you want to use there to like he he got our record out 
Um, we've got two records on vinyl. Um, he helped us tour Europe. So yeah, I mean, without without our record label, I I truly don't know what we do. And it's not a record label in a historical sense of the word. Like he helps us, but we don't owe him anything. It's not like he paid us this crazy advance. It's not like you know he pays for us. We pay for our own studio time. We kind of pay to put ourselves on tour, but records and distro and helping us on tour and that kind of thing. Like, yeah, Tiered, Tiered's kind of the guy. The Dutch are very nice people. They are, they are. So the lesson is to not automatically think someone is trying to scam you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, definitely run that through a filter of sorts. Don't just ignore it, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And, you know, when it comes time for you guys to make a new record, you know, what's that process like? You know, do you lock yourselves away to come up with ideas? Yeah, it... Uh... Man, it varies. It's kind of hit and miss. It depends on who's got what going on. We've all got, you know, eight to five jobs. Um, my singer right now is playing Santa Claus because tis the season and all that. Um, but for this last record, uh, my brother and I just kind of sat down and and woodshedded all these riffs. Um, he'd come over and we'd just hang out. And we'd kind of write things. Um, I've written things on my own. I take them to the band. What typically happens is I write a pretty standard riff in 4-4 that's pretty straight ahead. And my brother will like, change something a little bit so it's a little quirky or my drummer who's got way better ears than me will change something that's not quite i have a tendency to put things a little weird mathy wise um and he likes to straighten those out so they're a little head bobbier and not as like weird uh, my brother comes from like a math rock background and so he tends and we're both jazz guys so we tend to like make things a little swingier and make things this that and third but for writing for a record, this next one is going to be a concept album, and I've been writing for it for going on a year now because it's all you know. Uh, it's uh, to, not to get into it right at the second, but you know, it's all dream based and it's all trying to fit what I'm imagining onto my hands has proven to be interesting. It's not just a standard; it's something I want to. It's almost like a painting instead of a, a song to be completely corny about it. Like there's a, a almost a visual element I'm trying to transpose to my hands. That we're that we're trying to get there. So, right, right, and uh, I know it's early days, but when can we expect to hear some of it? Yeah. So the first, what we were going to do, and uh, what we may still do, is we have six songs recorded already in the can, done. And what we we're going to do is put. If you're familiar with Rush Twenty One Twelve, one side of that record is songs, and the other side of the record is a concept. And so that's what we were going to do: is do six like straight ahead rock songs. And then the second half was going to be this concept piece. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to do that. I think you're probably looking around April or May to get that out. We're going to do digital. Um, we'll probably eventually do physical media too. But ultimately, I'd really like to get it out together and have it consumed as at least you know sides because they are the second half is definitely a concept piece. So hopefully, hopefully early summer. Ah, exciting time. So, and. Uh... We'll jump into the history of the band a bit. You've been together for eight years, but how did the band come into existence? Yeah, um, so uh, Dog and I, my drummer, have uh, been playing music together since we were wee lads. Uh, I'm 46 to admit my age, and uh, we've been best friends. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, We've been best friends for about 40 years now. Um, So we've been playing garage bands and um, this kind of high school bands. So our last project kind of went... I don't know. It just kind of, as bands do, just kind of grew apart. But we always stayed together. Um, we got Jason, who was our singer, to come over. Uh, we had a, another bass player for a little while, just a, a a little bit. And then, so now the band is my brother, who plays bass, my best friend on drums, and one of our musical idols singing. So it's kind of best case scenario for me. 
Uh, I've known, I, I calculated yesterday, we were making jokes. I've known these guys a combined total of like 112 years. Like we've just known each other all so long and it's such a cool um, dynamic. You know, we're, we're friends first. He's my brother first, obviously. Uh, and then it's, we're lucky enough to be able to play music with our friends. I have to ask now, how did you get your musical idol into your band? Uh, great. He is, uh, it's funny. So, you know, when you're like, 14 guys that are 18 seem so old you know what i mean like and that's what i mean we used to drive 20 minutes to go watch his bands play at this local pizza place i'm like man this guy is amazing and he was in at the time so this has been seven years ago now uh jason was singing for another local rock and roll band i guess Uh, and they were kind of slowing down and we asked him like hey man if you want to come over and sing like i have just a truckload of riffs written if you want to check it out and he was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, no questions asked. He's like, I'm in the band if you want me in the band. He's like, I don't even have to hear it. I'm like, yep, let's do it. I'm I'm all about this. So, yeah. Jesus. No point in asking you then. Was it hard to uh, find members for a band? It was obviously pretty easy. Yeah. Th- thankfully, I've got, you know, my dr- I'm probably never going to play music without my drummer. Um, Dog and I are kind of inseparable. His name's Derek. I've called him Dog since we were kids. Uh, you know, and again, having my brother on bass, like, we can argue all day and nobody's going to you know, get too pissed off. So it's, it's really good. Sounds like the perfect dynamic. And we'll, uh, we'll jump into your own personal music history now. If you can, can you remember your very first musical memory? Um, I remember my first heavy musical memory. So in the States, you know, you vacation and buy car and you just drive everywhere. Um, and it was an 18 hour drive, 16, 18 hour drive to Florida where we were going from Indiana where I'm at. And we got in this old seventies van with like the captain's chairs and shit. And my uncle Patrick was listening to ACDC back in black on, on a, on a stupid cassette tape player. And he put it on my ears and I like, my like my little brain was just like swirling around <laughs> in my head. I couldn't even fathom like what is this? Like all I've heard is kids' music, um, and that's I legitimately that was it, man. Like I heard that guitar, and I and I and I remember listening to it as long as he would let me. I'm like, can I please listen to this some more? Like, and I was just a little guy, and I listened to that for as long as he would let me. And it was fantastic. But I grew up in a musical household. My dad played trumpet for uh, a swing band for a long time. My mom played instruments. I grew up, I was a saxophone kid first. That was my first instrument. Uh, I ended up going to college for saxophone, didn't graduate. I played, you know, guitar, bass, everything. Like anything I can get my hands on. I've got like a didgeridoo over here next to me. I've got a <laughs> band. Yeah, like I just, I like music. Like that's, I, I'll be an old grizzly man in the nursing home and they'll, they'll make sure I have my hand pan nearby so I can hit it and make cool sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, the music you were exposed to growing up then, how do you think it has influenced you into the musician you are today? Yeah, I think um, ultimately what I've always said is I love music that has an edge to it, no matter what style you're listening to. Like, I love jazz, but I don't like, well, I don't know. I don't know, like, Kenny G is a jazz, but that was like the first mainstream guy I thought of. But like, I remember listening to Ornette Coleman the first time as a saxophone player, free jazz guy. And I was just like, what is he doing with this instrument? Like, I like to be challenged by the music. Uh, and my dad made me listen to a lot of like, you know, Miles Davis, Bitches Brew stuff where you're just like, this is so different from what everybody's doing. If that's what I want to be doing. And I think our stuff is accessible, but I don't think we are the typical. We're not the typical four on the floor. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. I love clutch. That's a great example. Like we're in that wheelhouse, but we're not doing that. Uh, 
I really like odd time signatures. I really like weird uh, scales. I like hitting things chromatically. I like build like, yeah, I, there's little things. I think like, I love catchy shit. I love no shame in my game on six, six, six player put out a record and Christina Aguilera put out a record. I bought both of them. Like, I guess <laughs> like, I love all that shit. I listen to so much hip hop, but I listen to like straight funeral doom too. Like, I think the worst thing you can do, not that you ask, but I think the worst thing you can do is like pigeonhole yourself. Like, Oh, I only listen, you know, I don't like country music, like bullshit. I could tell you like five artists that you would think are amazing. Like, you know, so yeah, that that's, that's what I think had the biggest influence on me was I listened to jazz and hip hop and old school music and, you know, Motown had such a big influence on me and jazz and all that, like, Country music, my grandfather listened to nothing but country music. Like, you can get, there's some badass dudes in country music, man. Like, they shot dudes and wrote songs about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And, you know, at what stage then did you decide that, you know, you just didn't want to listen to music? This was a career choice for you. You wanted it meant more to you. Yeah, I think. Um, I wanted to be a rock and roll star, whatever that meant. When I saw Ozzy Osbourne's The Ultimate Sin um, concert, like I saw a videotape of it, and I was like, dude, if this is what this is, I got I to gotta get my hands on that. Like watching him come out and just all those people and being able to, the idea of being able to express yourself as a ways of living was everything, right? Like it wasn't just about playing music. It was about, this is what I want to be doing 100%. There's no like, um, there's no middle ground. I'm not, you know, I don't have to answer to anybody else. And I, I think I got my first, I got my first bass at like 14 is where I started was on bass. And then I got tired of asking guitar players to play the riff I wrote and I just started playing guitar. So, um, but yeah, I, I would say I, I, when I went to college, I wanted to teach music. That's what my major was. Um, but yeah, ultimately Music's all what I kind of always wanted to do in some form or fashion. So, yeah, yeah. And uh, how does you know a jazz guy who who goes to college for saxophone end up in kind of like a the stoner doom world? Man, Black Sabbath, man. That's <laughs> the answer. Like the first time you hear Nativity in Black, or the first time you hear Black Sabbath, or the first time you hear like any of those songs off the first four or five records i like the do records too i'm not picky i like all that shit but the first time you hear iomi's guitar tone like how don't you go okay well this is the best thing i've ever heard so yeah <laughs> that, that that was it and i can i can blame it the first time i heard um i saw crowbar open and like shit it's been forever ago and i just like i didn't move the whole concert i just like watched them play and i was like kirk he just he doesn't play a bad riff like if you listen to Down or Crowbar or uh, the Th Kingdom of Sorrow, the thing he did with Jamie Josta, like the guy doesn't miss. He he writes um, riff after riff after riff. And like I'm like I got to aspire to be this guy, man. Except he's much shorter than me. He's like five five. I'm like <laughs> six three, so can't do that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what's your local music scene like? Then is there much competition? Is it very overcrowded? It's um. Man, lately it's been very hit and miss because COVID, right? So um, before COVID, you there was a lot of places to play. There was a lot of, um, we had a lot of, a lot of stoner, a lot of death metal, a lot of good hip hop scene here, um, some country music. But now there's a lot of, a lot of venues closed in our area. So there's a lot of competition to play shows, which is weird. 
Um, death metal is huge here right now in Indianapolis. Feels like it feels like there's a big resurgence of like uh, like classic death metal. Um, cool. Um, yeah, but it feels like everywhere we went. So we just got off the road a little while ago. Uh, it felt like everywhere we went, there was like one venue in every town that played like stone rock or metal or rock and roll. Uh, and every other place is like, yeah, that's they we don't do that. They're there's cover bands. Like every town just kind of had like one original bar that you could go play music at. So it's interesting. It's just a matter of knowing who to ask for shows, I reckon. True, true, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned COVID. I have to ask, how did you guys deal with it? How did you get through it? Yeah, uh, lots of streaming. Like we just did lots of live streams on our Facebook page or um uh, we tried yeah, lots of lots of live streams. We also did a recorded Halloween concert. We did uh, some live from like talking with our fans from the interview room, that sort of thing. Um, I'm fans, you know, people people that want to interact with us, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, truly, it was a we wrote our asses off, and then um, just did a lot of fun stuff to keep it fresh. We tried not because I know a lot of people didn't get together. So you know, Russian Circles is one of my favorite bands. And I know they didn't rehearse the whole time COVID was going on. So we were lucky enough. Like I still knock on wood, haven't had COVID. Um, and so we were, we were hyper safe. Like the first six months, we didn't do anything just to make sure. Um, then we all got, you know, after, I don't know, whenever that was, we got together, did some practice and kind of kept our distance. And then, um, yeah, we did lots of, lots of fun stuff just to make sure we didn't get bored and not talk to one another really. Yeah, yeah. And you know the way during the pandemic, like it decimated the music world. You know, there was no gigs anywhere. Do you think there's anything that came about as a result of COVID that now benefits the music world? So it's funny you mentioned this. I think a lot of shitty bands got eliminated. And so <laughs> I think there's, and I don't I don't mean this in a bad way, sort of. But I, it's I, I'm, I'm very blunt. I apologize. I, I think there's a lot of bands that were quasi serious about it anyway, right? Like people that just, oh, well, I'm going to be a rock star. I'm not going to put any of the work in, but I, you know, I, this is what I'm going to do. And I think it eliminated a lot of those types. And I've kind of seen a lot of bands kind of fall off. Um, there aren't the number. Now it of course impacted um, some really great bands that couldn't keep it together. Um, you know, a year and a half, two years is a long time not to play a show or not to practice or whatever, but if anything, if anything good came out of COVID, it's we're a tighter band because of it. We practiced like more vigilantly because we're like, well, we're not playing shows. So let's write and let's make sure when we practice, it's purposeful. Uh, so, yeah, for us personally, I I know I sound like a jerk for saying bands disbanded. And I know that makes me kind of an <laughs> asshole, but I, I just no, feel no, like it's there's, honest. Yeah, there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of chaff. You know what I mean? You got to you kind of sort through. um good on people for having local bands but you know there's a lot of chaff you have to sort through in every scene i think and so i think it eliminated some of that and it's a good thing yeah yeah kind of clears up the clutter yeah that's right yeah yeah and we'll move on to your concerts now as a concert goer yeah what concerts do you think have made you lollapalooza 93 i know i'm old um but <laughs> primus alice and chains tool uh, Rage Against the Machine, Dinosaur Jr., Arrested Development. Uh, just, I mean, talk about something that's right in my wheelhouse is all these different genres in one spot. 
But being able to see Alice in Chains with the original members with Lane Staley, it's like 900 degrees outside. And Lane Staley's on stage with a leather jacket and long pants and like just singing his ass off. And I was like, God, man, this guy's just, he's the coolest guy ever. Um, that was great. And I've seen the band Helmet 30 something odd times now live. Jeez. I, I love Helmet. Like I just, they're the quintessential 90s band for me. Uh, the riff writing, the 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 power behind everything they do. I've seen them a lot. Um, but a concert I really love, we saw um, the Metal Alliance tour, one of the first years they did it. And it was like Kylesa, Red Fang, Crowbar. Uh, uh, there was a big band that I didn't care about that headlined. But I saw those bands like five feet away and it was just so powerful and good. And it went from like this big venue to this real small bar because there was a shooting there the night before, I guess. Um, and it was incredible, but, uh, uh, just real quick, just so I can make mention of my favorite band of all time. I got to see ISIS before they broke up really? in Cincinnati with Pelican and Keel Hall and ISIS brought tears to my eyes. Like it was just, it was so good and it was so powerful and so tight. And their sound was, if the, if your audience doesn't know ISIS for the love of God, go look up ISIS, look up the album Panopticon or go look up Oceanic or any of those, like all their stuff is great. I have to ask now, you mentioned you have bought a Christine Aguilera record before. Have you went to one of her concerts? I haven't because she, so pop acts don't come to our area a lot because they'll skip to like, it'll be, and if the joke is, it'll be fun going to Chicago for this tour because nobody ever comes here because Indiana. So they'll go like Columbus, Ohio, Chicago, or they'll go St. Louis, Cincinnati. So you have to like, you have to travel. So no, unfortunately, I would see it though. And first of all, Christina's still fine. I just want to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you look for in a concert? You know, what makes a good experience for you? Man, uh, great question. And I don't want a band to be album perfect. I like a little variation in sound. So Mastodon, I think, does a good job of that. They'll jam on things for a minute. I really, I really like seeing them uh, in person. We just saw, you know, if you don't know the band Alexis on Fire, they're like a Canadian post-hardcore band. So we, my brother and I just drove four hours each way to go see those guys because they didn't come anywhere near us. And they jammed on one song for like 20 minutes. I was like, this is great. I'll remember this because I love this song and also they jammed on it. So really just something to differentiate between their li- their uh, album, I think, is, is I really look forward to that. Of course, a visual show is fine, but I don't care. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I saw Ghost in concert. It was entertaining, but I think more than that, they write a catchy tune. Like I know they're called girlfriend metal and people don't <laughs> like them very much, but I, I happen to like that band. I think they write a hell of a catchy tune. So, but yeah, just, just something. So it's not, I'm just not going and listen to a CD. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You don't want the, like a perfect recreation of the CD. You know, you want that little bit extra that differentiates. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you guys have toured extensively, including overseas. How does a band in the States get to the stage where they can tour overseas? Yeah, um, I mentioned it before, but our, our record label really was instrumental. We we ended up, um, we saved our uh, saved all of our nickels uh, and got our, uh, you know, paid for our own airfare. Um, we did a, a bit of a merch fundraiser and we didn't just ask for money if people pay it's like hey we're we're going to europe if you guys can make sure you're buying merch that'd be great and people really turned out um i think we sold out of everything for a long time and so that was great people really wanted us to go um and then when we got we um 
got to the Netherlands, which is where we stayed in Kampen, and then kind of, you know, the great part about Europe, as opposed to the States is, I was in, what, five countries that were like two hours away from the Netherlands. So our tour shirt looked great. And I didn't have to tell people that, hey, all these places are only like an hour and a half from like where we're staying. <laughs> so, you know, we would go to Kampen, we would stay the night there, and we would just drive out, and we would play Arnhem, and we would play um, Osnabrück, Germany, and we would play Belgium and all these places. And so um, we used our label owner's gear. We brought our own guitars. Uh, we used his um, his amps and stuff. We my drummer's a, a pearl artist, so uh, he he you know, used uh, their drums when we went over there. And it really just again I use the word providence, but everything just kind of came together through hard work. Uh, we got a lot of really nice people that bought a lot of gear from us, um, and we were able to ship it out. And, and truly, we got asked to come over there by a lot of people. Um, I know I'm sure it's cliche to say at this point, but man, Europe loves metal. Europe loves rock and roll. Like they just, they turn out, the, the fundamental difference, I think, between a, speaking of concerts, European concert and a U.S. concert, I feel like, in general, Europeans will just show up because there is a concert. Not because they necessarily know the band or whatever. They know there's, hey, there's going to be heavy music here tonight. Let's go check it out. Whereas in the States, I feel like you have to do a little more salesmanship and like, hey, you guys know us. Come on out. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, you know, I'm always intrigued by this for European bands from the moment they start, they could be together 10 years. It's like America is the place to go. You know, it's yeah. like we get to America, we'll make it from an American band's point of view. What's Europe like? How do you guys view Europe? It's so interesting and different that we just i think um we did a lot of absorbing so we played like two encores when we played um antwerp belgium and it's so different like it was they almost demanded it we got another set of putting down my guitar and the guy's like in my face like let's go and like that doesn't happen in the states to a band on our level like it's just not not that way um i i think the biggest difference that i see i think we're america could really improve the most from europe is everywhere in the netherlands like they're giving money to make sure the venue is good and got a good sound system like the government does. And there's funding for the arts and there's, um, you know, national funding for record stores and they're that sort of thing. Whereas in the States, I feel like I almost feel not rock and roll is far from dead here, but I almost feel like it's just, it's almost discouraged. It's impossible to keep an all ages venue open here. Um, unless you're selling alcohol, it's just so super hard to keep a venue open anyway. But I, I think, for the reason we wanted to be in Europe more than anything is just the, the ask. Like truly, we we were asked to come over there by so many people. We're like, let's do it, man. Like it 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 can't be bad. And sure enough, truly speaking, and I think all the other three would agree with me. It was the best three weeks of my life, truly. And I've I've done a lot of cool shit, and that was like being over there and seeing all those different places and being in front of all those people and smoking weed with a guy in Osnabrück, Germany with a big space helmet on my head, like all that <laughs> stuff. Like there's so many cool individual memories and we met so many neat people that I just feel like the world it's welcoming over here. Don't get me wrong. I just feel like art wise, music wise, things are accepted a little more over there and encouraged. Yeah. Do you kind of, I've heard us mentioned before that in the States, it's almost like rock and roll is on the way down it's kind of dying out now obviously it'll never truly die out but do you think it is do you think other 
genres of music like rap, pop are kind of getting that bit more exposure? I think it's harder for kids to play instruments. And I think that's a big root of it. Um, we, I've, I've talked to people about this often is I think one of the best things you can do is buy your kid an instrument because there's just, it's, it's cost prohibitive now to buy an instrument for a young kid. Like if even just a trumpet, even if it's, you know, I think rock and roll starts with elementary band. I truly do. Like you get that tactile sensation of having your hands on a trumpet or playing the drums or whatever. Um, you hear people playing music now. I'm not going to ever take a shot at electronic music. I think it's great. I, I listen to a lot of weird dance music myself. I listen, you know, like old 80s synth stuff. But I, I really think um, it's encouraging to see that people aren't necessarily leaning all the way into that. Um, there's, I saw a lot of young bands. There was a couple of young bands I was checking out today, like Corey Taylor's son, the lead, the guy from Slipknot. His kid sings in a band. It's not terrible. Um, not my cup of tea, but it's not bad. But I think there's... I think there will be a resurgence. I think we're in probably a downside, um, but I think it has to do with everything kind of goes in cycles. You know, we had disco for a long time in the seventies, but somehow metal was still there. Metal is always like, it's the, I don't know, it's the cockroach of the music genres, I guess. Like it, it always survives somehow. I'm not sure through all the eighties hair metal bullshit, like there was still people making death metal, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think actually metal does best when it's kind of in the underground. That's my, that's, I mean, my opinion I think when like if you look at the middle '90s when new metal was like the at its height, like I don't know, I don't was there that much good metal being made? Probably not. But when you know the early 2000s, there's so many good death metal and doom records, like because again, people are discovering it on their own and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I have to ask now for any of the listeners that haven't caught one of your shows yet, what can they expect? I want them to have an experience. So I not to, you know, give to give everything away, but we have lots of fog, lots of lights. Um, if you're not familiar with the Heaven's Gate cult, you should check it out because we really borrow a lot from those guys. Uh, we all wear the Nikes that they wore. Right. Uh, Jason is something of a he's a raised as a church kid and he likes to make sure you know that on stage. You know, we're singing from a pulpit. There's uh, I, I want it. And honestly, we're a little obnoxiously loud, but that's on purpose. Like I'm not Ingve Malmsteen. I'm not Steve Vai, but I can write a riff and I want it to be really loud. And I want you to like kind of feel it. You know, I want you to take some of my sonic energy home with you. So that's that's really the goal is I want you to have a bit of an experience. Sounds like a, one hell of a time anyway, but I have to ask, you know, I noticed in the pictures, it was one of the first things I noticed was the influences from Heaven's Gate and then, you know, singing from a pulpit. Where does all that come from? To say that I'm obsessed with the whole cult thing is probably understating it. Um, and just the idea of the care. And so I think they're completely tied together. So we're all we all grew up in the Midwest and here in the United States. You can't help but be influenced by religion. Like I grew up heavily you know, I grew up in the satanic panic era where everything was satanic and my mom threw away all my Dungeons and Dragons stuff and I had to hide my public enemy tapes underneath my bed because, you know, black guys were trying to overthrow the country. And like there's so many different weird facets of everything, but all of that ties into the cult thing and the, the idea of one guy convinced all these people to kill themselves because there was a UFO behind a comet. Like, dude, that's that's that shit writes itself as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and um, 
I'm after going blank. His when you said that his name just popped into my head as Marshall Applewhite, isn't it? Mar- Marshall Applewhite, that's right. Or yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I can think of now. For... <laughs> yeah. He uh we actually used to come on stage to his final message, and we got enough people that recognize it. We're like, we're gonna stop doing that and just do go with the shoes and see if people still recognize it. And some people do, and they always get an extra prize at a show if they point it out. So Right, right. <laughs> and uh, back to your gigs then. What gigs have made you guys as a band? Yeah, man, great question. Um, truly, um, the Antwerp Belgium gig that I mentioned was, it's it stands out. Um, people were so welcoming and they wanted us to play encores. And there are some people singing along that I'd never met, met before. And we never played that town before. That was that was an amazing one. Um we got to open for crowbar that's an amazing like that was like a well we could just retire now if you guys want to <laughs> like we got to open for crowbar um we we were lucky enough uh when we first started off our local stoner rock metal place let us open for a million bands that were just fantastic and some of my heroes but um i love the crowbar gig being able to talk to kirk in person was pretty great um but i'll tell you this last we played um earlier this year at a place called the hi-fi here in indy and I, it was just, it was four, three local bands and it's a bigger venue. And we weren't sure how we do because, you know, local bands, the bigger venue in town. Okay. If we get 150 people out there, great. And it was packed to the rafters, man. Like three local bands doing very heavy music, all three of us. Um, and it was just, you know, nuts to butts. It was packed in there. And we were so not, we were so humbled that people would come out first of all and pay 20 bucks or whatever it was to come see us. But we were so encouraged that so many people were out there and it wasn't just a bunch of old dudes, which is mostly our crowd. And I'm not shitting on old guys. I'm just saying <laughs> old guys tend to listen to our music, but it was a lot of younger guys. It was a lot of, a lot of ladies there. Um, but that for us is just so encouraging that our scene is, is that right. There's a lot of room for growth. There's a hot, real high ceiling. Um, and I feel like Indianapolis, really does a great job of supporting. We've got a couple of great venues in town. Um, Black Circle comes to mind that just, they really support the metal scene. They really go out of their way to help bands. Um, and that's, yeah. 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 And you know, when you, uh, when a band at your level travels overseas, when you come back home, do you feel like in the eyes of other local bands, you're kind of elevated to a rock star sort of level? <laughs> I don't think we'll ever be rock stars, uh, but uh, I think it it doesn't hurt your booking. Like if you can say, hey, we're trying to book well, this last tour. Hey, we're trying to book this tour out. You know, if you need a resume, we've done this thing before. And, you know, we've been to Europe. That's where it really helps is if you're trying to get other things done. I mean, that's not what we did, obviously, but it really does help to say, yeah, man, we've been to Europe. We've done this thing. We've been overseas. We know how to handle ourselves. We're professional. I don't know if so much other bands care but I know my friends care. And that's that kind of felt good. Like, I can't believe you guys toured Europe. Like, I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal. We just went and played shows. Like, no, it's a big fucking deal, man. You should be proud of it. I'm like, all right, I'm proud of it. Fine. So, <laughs> Well, something not every band gets to do. It is a major that's accomplishment, it. you know? That's right, yeah. Yeah. And um, we've heard some of the best gig experiences you've had now, but not to get too negative, but is there a gig that you would consider maybe the worst experience you've had? And how did you overcome it? Does that have to be a Void King gig? No, I'll I'll go easy on you. It can be any sort of gig. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you two because the first one's kind of funny. So the first sh- live show I ever played, we played, it was a high school dance. 
And for some reason, we they let they let us play. Uh, and it was me and my current drummer now, and uh, two of my good friends back in the day. And we're we're gonna open with Metallica's "For Whom the Bell Tolls," and. I'm playing bass and I play the first notes and my drummer goes to hits the drums and he hits the cymbals and they fall off the stage. He breaks both of his drumsticks. Not oh. like it's like somebody <laughs> set up a gag. It was like a it was like a John Larroquette gag. He hits it. He doesn't have backup drumsticks. Uh, the cymbals fall over and it collapse. And he he runs across the street, grabs uh, drumsticks and finishes the gig with like half a cymbal barely hanging from a thing. And we forgot words. And it was just like the whole time I'm playing, I'm just like, I'm just, I hate all of this. I, I was sweaty. I was just nervous. But yeah, that, that's definitely the the worst. I'll say this last tour we had just, it's only funny because we've talked about it and we've all worked it out. But um, in the million years I've been playing gigs, I've never had to stop a song and like figure out what we were doing. But this last tour we were on, we had been out for a little while, and I think we were all just tired, and the, we didn't do a good sound check, and it was kind of muddy. The, all the excuses, thank you. <laughs> um, and we're in the middle of our last song, and I had no idea where we were. Like, I started playing notes, and I looked at my brother, who's on bass, and he go, he literally did this with his bass in his hand. And my drummer just goes, fucking stop! And he just waved his hand. He goes, all right, we're starting here. And we had to start over, and I was... I was mortified on stage. I was, I just, I couldn't have been more embarrassed of, and I'm positive I fucked up, by the way. <laughs> if any, so I'm just so loud. If I screw up, like it's hard to tell sometimes, but I was just, the rest of the show didn't, I'm usually pretty energetic on stage. I'm usually pretty like moving around and I scream some as backup vocals. I just, I didn't do any of that. I just stood in one place and made sure I didn't fuck up the rest of the show. And <laughs> uh, was about, I'm sweaty thinking about that one. I didn't like that at all. Oh man! If only you could uh, pick certain memories to erase from your memory, huh? <laughs> to get the Men in Black flash thing—that'd be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, to get a little insight of tour life, what sort of wild and crazy antics do you guys get up to? Man, we're so boring. Like, <laughs> like I, when we were in the when we were in Europe, we indulged it a lot because we're like, you know, we were in. We were in Amsterdam in the red light district on Halloween night. Like, how am I not going to go a little crazy? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, but honestly, this last, like this last tour, um, typically we'll get to a city, see if we can get a hotel early, like check in. And then me and my, me and my brother will go play disc golf or we'll walk around the park or we'll like go sightsee because uh, I don't know, man, I'm kind of a life is short guy. Like how, how many more times am I going to be to Tulsa, Oklahoma? Like I want to go check stuff out. You know what I mean? Um, don't get me wrong. We like to drink at night when we're playing the show or usually after we play. But, um, you know, we really like to explore the city we're in. We did so much like sightseeing and we'll park the van at the venue and just go eat someplace local or ask for a recommendation. So we're pretty boring that way. Um, you know, when it, at post show time, there have been times things happen but you know nothing illegal or crazy well i can't say that illegal <laughs> in some states uh but you know no no law breaking no hotel trashing we're you know most of us are older gentlemen at this point i need a nice soft bed when i go to bed at night so <laughs> you say boring i say sensible <laughs> <laughs> i think gonna be good for the morning time i don't want to be a grouch ass when i'm driving you know yeah yeah and um you know what's your pre-show post-show rituals if you have any how do you psych yourself up and then how do you wind down yeah pre-show always um 
I have started a, a, a pretty good stretching routine, thanks to my brother, who's 18 years younger than me. But he has always stretched a lot before show. I try to make sure I get that, um, do a little warm up on the on the neck. Um, and I'm kind of the, uh, I don't know, checklist guy, like make sure the lights are up there, make sure the fog machine's got juice in it. I kind of go through all those steps to make sure we don't miss a, miss anything as we go on stage. It'd be a lot easier if we just didn't have any of that stuff and played combo amps. But, you know, I've got a full stack plus my pedal board plus lights and fog and drums and all that stuff. So I, I like to go through and make sure all that stuff's in order, kind of like a packing list. Uh, and then afterwards, it kind of depends on where we are, but I, I do enjoy a local brew or five when we're done. So <laughs> I don't like to do it before we drink, before we play, because I'll mess up. But yeah. Ah. And uh, here's a, might be a tough one now, but how do you guys measure success? Yeah, I think we, this is such a good question. And we have um, done a really good job of recalibrating that occasionally. Right. So I think initially when this band first started, we were like, hey, man, let's just have fun and drink beer and like write riffs. Like, would that be cool? And then turns out people kind of some people kind of like those things that we were doing. Um, So I think success is just measured by how much fun we're having with the band right now. Um, We're we're in no way going to, you know, be touring the world in airplanes with giant buses and getting paid millions of dollars to do it. Um, And we have no that's fine. Like we want to make sure we're still doing it. Uh, we still we get a lot of guys our age like, man, I I I wouldn't want to haul that shit around anymore. Like that seems like a lot of hassle. Like it is, but I I sure like doing it. You know, I, I sure like going out there and playing. So I think success for Void King means doing what we want to do. I think we get a lot of if you read the reviews, typically pretty good. But the, so they always say they should figure out what genre they want to be. Nice. Right. I I'm a bigger fan of let's like, let's expand what the genre means or like, let's play what we want to play as opposed to, you know, oh, here's corrosion of conformity. You should sound like those guys. Like that's never been my thing. And so, yeah, success is just about fun and doing what kind of what we want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And in 30 years time, you know, you're at the end of your career. You're, you yep. need a Zimmer frame on stage. You look <laughs> back at the career. What yeah. needs to have happened for you to feel fulfilled and happy? To keep playing music with my friends. Like really, uh, almost got emotional there. Had, had a weird couple of days. But um, I think ultimately, and I said at the beginning, I think we're so lucky to be playing music with dudes we've known our whole life. Um, and are legitimately my friends already. Um, I've seen so many, and I've been in bands like this. You You meet people. Hey, I, I met a guitar player. You guys want to play together? Yeah, that'd be cool. And you learn to like each other and you become friends. And when that band is over, you never speak to each other again. Like I've been in, I don't know, five, six bands that I don't know where any of those dudes are. And it doesn't even occur to me. But now, you know, I'm in, I'm so fortunate to be playing music with like-minded dudes that just so happened to be my friends before we were in the band. But like that, I think that's what I want ultimately is at the end of the day, I hope I drop dead at 150 with a guitar in my hand with my best friend playing drums. So, yeah, yeah. Sounds, uh, you know, it's, it's like the band you've found a band that's more so a family, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's and, right. uh, yeah. It's, uh, I'm sure there's lots of other bands out there that would actually be pretty envious. Yeah. Well, I know like, uh, so I don't know if you like the band Chevelle at all, but for some reason I'm, I'm kind of fond of those guys. And it was, you know, two brothers and a cousin. 
And they had to kick one of those guys out of the band. I'm like, I can't imagine. I can't like that family reunion is going to suck, dude. Yeah. You kicked Stevie out of the band. What the hell? So, yeah. He's a bit frosty. All right. And, uh, (laughs) Before we get on to the last couple of questions, then yeah. we've heard about the upcoming record. Is there any other future plans you can tell us about? Um, no, I, we're really focusing on finishing this concept album and getting stuff recorded and put out for everybody. That's really the goal. We we got so much, like I've mentioned, we're so scatterbrained when we write. We have a million different things. We need to sit down and put them together and and finish it. But that's that's ultimately what the next step is for us, for sure. Perfect, perfect. Right, we'll uh, we'll jump into the last couple. So, if you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only, who would it be? Man, um, Black Sabbath, nineteen seventy four. Right, right. The the peak of everybody, the original lineup, all that. Just man, I, honestly, I'm, I've got goosebumps thinking about seeing Ozzy in his prime. Like, I can't, I can't, literally, cannot imagine. Yeah, yeah. Oh, can't argue with that one anyway. And if you had to spend 24 hours locked in a room with any artist or musician from history, who would it be? Um, And I almost want to say Mozart, but I feel like that guy is a little <laughs> insane. Um, I'll tell you, John Coltrane. So right. I was a saxophone jazz guy. Like he was such a cool cat, Um, you know, minus all the drug usage. But um, he was such a cool guy. I would, I think I would learn so much from his songwriting and his soul and just his general take on life. Like he was such a rad guy. Um, I would love to spend that time with Coltrane. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think if you hadn't said a jazz guy, I actually would have been a little bit disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. And the final one, what song would appear on the soundtrack to your life? Um, man, what a fantastic, interesting question. So I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, "Dogs" by Pink Floyd. Right. It's right. long. It's long. It's protracted. It's got the best guitar solo in history on it. Some kids would say comfortably numb. I say "Dogs," um, but ultimately, it's got a lot of moods to it, and I think that's kind of me. Um, aside from clinical anxiety, like I like to, <laughs> I like to, uh, you know, enjoy a lot of different things. I like to have my hands in a lot of different pots. And I just feel like, man, dogs is such a good representation of my mood most of the time. And I really, I would listen to that song right now, the rest of the day and not think twice about it. So I would love that. Has to be that one. So listen, Tommy, it's been an absolute pleasure now. I've really enjoyed getting an insight into your music. I appreciate you so much letting me sit here and ramble on for the last 50 minutes at you. (laughs) Um, Great questions. Thank you so much for uh, putting us on.
What's up everyone, my name is DJ JC and I'm one of the DJs over at Super Cool Radio. I host a one hour metal show called The Brutal Block. We have new episodes every Tuesday dropping at noon. So if heavy metal music is something that you're into, then make your way over to The Brutal Block. Throw up the horns and let's get rocking. Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us on iTunes and Spotify. And if you're interested in signing up the Band Builder Academy, use the link in the show notes below and enter the code CONCERTS and you'll receive 10% off. So, until next time, keep rockin'. Hey, hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.